I want to begin speaking this morning from 2 Corinthians 4, and I want one verse there in verse 13. I believe the Lord has led on my heart to talk to you this morning about the fundamentals of the faith. When Brother Luke spoke to us a few weeks ago about remembering these simple truths, these simple teachings that we all should embrace and understand, it really brought back to my mind about the necessity of refreshing ourselves in the fundamentals of the faith. And I've been thinking about this for some time now, and I want to look and draw from the articles of faith from Bethlehem Church. I want to start from that. And I want you to know that I believe what the articles of faith teach. And specifically, I'm going to take one step back from Bethlehem's articles of faith, and we're going to look at and draw from the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is where Bethlehem came from. You may not be interested in history, but if you don't know where you came from, there's no way you can know where you're going. In 1847, the little church up there at Zion was started. 1847, you know, that's prior to the Civil War era. This was around the time when different factions of Baptists were beginning to really find their own character, if you will. And among those, there was a group known as Original Baptists. And that's where Old Baptists come from. That's where Primitive Baptists come from. Primitive just means original. And so Zion Primitive Baptist Church was established in 1847, and they have a, a record of their fundamentals of their faith, of what they believed. And this was commonplace among churches when they were established back you know, in the last couple hundred years and even before, where a church would say, we're establishing a church, this is what we believe. That's what Zion did. And some years later in 1901, and I think one of the reasons this is on my mind because I've been thinking about Tuscaloosa Church, their 50th anniversary. So in 1901, this area, which was known as Springertown, my thoughts on why they established the church is because I've read the records of Zion. I've read all of them from back in as many as they have from 1840s. And I find in the records of Zion in the late 1800s when some of the Springers were traveling from down here to Zion by wagon or walking or by horseback, sometimes it was hard to get to church. Can you imagine trying to ride a horseback or wagon to get to church on a morning like this when it's raining? It takes two or three hours, maybe more, <laughs> to get there. So anyway, I don't want to belabor the history too much, but I just find it a little bit humorous. We found in the record of Zion where some of the Springers were being chastised for not being at church. <laughs> it says it in the record. So-and-so's brother Springer was, was not here for this Sunday. for that. And then he'd show back up again and make amends. And, of course, they obviously would go forward. But at some point, I believe it became such a burden to travel that they established this church down here, which was the right thing to do, 1901. And so... That Primitive Baptist Church established this Primitive Baptist Church. Now, one other little side note, don't ever forget, it's interesting that over 100 years later, Bethlehem reaches back out to Zion to sort of reestablish Zion. You remember when they were down to one member? Praise God. If you don't understand that history, if you're not interested in that history, then in a sense, you're not really interested in the kingdom of God. Because this is how God's kingdom is perpetuated down through the centuries. And that's just a little 150 or so year of what has happened, okay? We're going to use Zion Primitive Baptist Church's Articles of Faith, and here's why. They had eight Articles of Faith. Bethlehem had 11, and there's some reasons why there was one or two added, and a couple of Bethlehems are covered in 
like one of Zion's. So, so I, I don't want to confuse you or belabor that, but it's just a little simpler with eight. And we're only going to look at one today, and it is the three-in-one God. That's the first article of faith on both of the churches, Zion and Bethlehem. So I want to read that in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 4 and 13, this is sort of an overview of why we're doing this. Okay? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 13, We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, and that's from the Psalms, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So I say to you today, I believe what I'm teaching to you. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm a member here. It's why I'm an old Baptist. It's why I'm a primitive Baptist. I believe and therefore I speak. Now, I expect you to embrace and continue to embrace and refresh or whatever the case may be what this teaches because it's from the Word of God. So you should believe and therefore you should speak based on what this Word of God teaches us. Don't be like most people in the denominational world. They say, you say, well, what do you believe? You say, well, I believe what my preacher believes. <laughs> well, what's your preacher believe? Well, he believes what my church believes. Well, what's your church believe? Well, I, they believe both what my preacher and my church believe. Nobody really knows what they believe. I want you to know that I believe what I'm teaching to you. And it's from the Word of God. And you should believe it too. Because it's simple teaching from the Word of God. The three-in-one God. Here's the first article of faith. From Zion 1847. We believe in one true and living God. And that there are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, if you've ever read Deuteronomy 6 and 4, you might think, well, that's a contradiction because the Bible says there's one God. We believe in a three-in-one God. Okay? Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That, that's not a contradiction to the three-in-one God. We're going to look in about three, maybe four places here in the Word of God that teach you about the three-in-one God and why this church is founded upon a belief of the Godhead being three in one. If you say, well, I can't wrap my mind around a three in one anything. Well, maybe this will jog your mind so you can. What about the universe in terms of science? It's broken down basically into time, space, and matter. That's, that's three in one in the universe. And then on that point, what about time? What is time? It's past, present, and future. You see, that's three in one. It makes up time. If you say, well, I just can't wrap my mind around. What about a basketball? <laughs> you ever thought about a basketball? It's three in one. You got a basketball that has air inside of it. And then you've got an inner part of the basketball that contains the air. And then you've got an outside part. And it's, it's three in one at least. It may be more. What about me? <laughs> Are you if you fall into this category? I am a father. I'm also a son. And I'm also a husband. Y'all see that? I'm three in one. Now, you could add pastor, lawyer, you know, whatever else, you, you know, musician. I mean, you could add a lot more things to that. But at the very least, I'm three in one. And the role that I play as a father is much different than the role I play as a son to my parents and as I play as a husband to my wife. And when I say play, I'm not talking about playing around, okay? <laughs> I'm very serious about being a father a son, and a husband. But I'm three in one. Surely we can wrap our mind around that. So turn to Genesis 1, and you'll find in the very first verses of the Bible, 
the three-in-one God. Genesis 1 and verse 1, very familiar verses here as we look at this first place where the Word of God teaches a three-in-one God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now that word God right there is the Hebrew. And you don't have to know Hebrew or Greek to be to understand the Bible. But it's very interesting to look at the definitions. Y'all know me, I love dis- discovering and looking at the definitions. But the word right there is the Hebrew word for God. And it's the plural, Elohim. It's the plural for God. So that uh, the very name itself of God indicates it's more than one. Okay, And here you'll see all three in these first few verses. Now, if somebody's got a problem with Genesis 1 and 1, then they're not going to enjoy their journey through the Scripture. <laughs> you know, If they're not believing that God created. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now watch the language. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And here's the second part of the Godhead. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In the first two verses of the Bible, we found the plural for God, Elohim, And we've also found the Spirit of God. So we found two. Well, let's see if we can discover the third part of the Godhead. The third role, if you will. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. There is the Word right there, the spoken Word of God. You've got God the Father in Elohim. You've got God the Spirit moving upon the face of the water. And then you've got the verbal spoken word of God. And that word, as you know, if you study your Bible, John 1 and different places, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And everything that was created was created by the word of God. So that spoke that spoken word right there is Jesus Christ. Very simple to see that. Isn't that simple? The child can understand that. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Spirit, and you've got God the Son. Now, many in the world today teach that these are just fables. Sort of like Aesop's fables. You know, just some idea that the Israelites or eventually the Christians have, you know, that this is just their fable of how things began. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is very scientific to believe that there is a creator God. Now there is something that I've come across here recently. I've never heard the term, maybe you have, but there is a term out there called scientism. And scientism is different than science. And scientism, the main difference between science and scientism is that science is the study of nature and behavior of natural things and knowledge obtained through them. While scientism is the view that only science can render truth about the world in reality. That's more like a religion. Only science can render truth about the world and reality. We believe as children of God and know that there's another reality. There's an eternal reality. And all things that we understand and glean through science come from the fact that there's something beyond what science is. You see? But it's very scientific to believe creation. Scientism is a philosophy. Whereas science is the study of nature. You understand? And that's another reason that you, that you can't give in to believe evolution because science is observing something and rendering a conclusion. Nobody has ever observed evolution and never will. But did you know that they have in laboratories observed the, the, the making of fossil fuels? You know, they say, well, these, these fossil fuels, you know, have been here for billions of years. In the right conditions with the right 
things happening, compression and different pressures and things like that, they've made them. They've taken something and turned it into fossil fuels based on the right conditions in a short period of time. But false science tells us that it takes millions and billions of years for that to happen. Listen, in the beginning, God, the Hebrew God, Elohim, our God, spoke and things came into existence. I love the old quote from S.M. Lockridge, who was the African-American preacher from California, very popular for 50 or so years. And he says this on the creation This is a quote from one of his sermons. The reason God came from nowhere was there was nowhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing, for there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. (laughs) You know, where did God come from? God has always been. And he created something out of nothing just by the, the voice of God. Let there be light. And light was created because that's how powerful God was. You know, all the missing links, so-called missing links of evolution have been proven to be hoaxes. Whether it was Piltdown Man, whether it was uh, Lucy, they're all hoaxes. And I've always asked the question, you know, where is the developing missing link today? (laughs) You know, if we're really evolving, why do you not see an in-between man? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay? And furthermore... When you think about the scare tactics that are out there related to what's going on in the world, you know, global warming and such, it's defying and denying what I'm preaching to you here today, that there's a creator God who said seed time and harvest shall not pass, okay? Also, by the way, I I read a recent article about global warming that there, in some think tank somewhere, they have now proposed the idea that maybe we need to block the sun to prevent global warming, That's ironic, isn't it? And one of the ways they're proposing to block the sun, S-U-N, is to inject aerosols into the atmosphere. And I thought to myself, as as dumb as I am, you know, they were telling us in the 80s and 90s that the hairspray that you used was going to destroy the ozone layer. And now they're wanting to inject that stuff into the air? See, here's what happens when man thinks he knows everything. There's no telling the kind of damage that man will do to this world just off of some foolish idea like that. See? But it's a total lack of trust in the three-in-one God. It's what it is. And whether you know it or not, I'm sure those of you that are involved in academia or going to school or whatever, it's, it has taken over the academic world. You know, you're some kind of imbecile to believe what I'm teaching you here today. <laughs> and you're some kind of old fogey if you think, well, we can't, we, we've got to do something. Let me say something. You are not the cause of global warming. You are not. Global warming's been taking place off and on for years. There's studies on that. You know, by the way, in the 70s, they told us that a new ice age was coming. <laughs> now they're telling us that the world's going to burn up, you see? Man and his pride does not have the answers. The child of God in humility who looks to the Word of God and true science can discover and find the glories of God and creation. Now, listen, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I want you to get these points about why it's so important to believe in the Creator God. Because the world in general does not believe in the Creator God. Or you can just choose a version of some type of God. It's just a fable you've come up with in your mind. The most acknowledged and well-known physicists or scientists 
in recent years is a fellow who passed away not too long ago named Stephen Hawking. Y'all may have heard him. You know, he suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease for many years. And in the last work that Stephen Hawking wrote, and listen, I'm not casting stones at Stephen Hawking. I'm not mad at Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking at this point right now knows the truth of the Creator God because <laughs> he's, he's passed on from this life, this physical life. But this, these are the two conclusions that the greatest scientist, the, the most revered scientist reached in his final work that his family actually had to finish it because he died before it was finished. And number one, his conclusion was there is no God. This is a direct quote. There is no God. No one directs the universe. Now that flies directly in the face of what I'm preaching to you here today. See? Number two, one of the major conclusions of his last work was that there is alien life. And this is a quote. There are forms of intelligent life out there. We need to be wary of answering back until we have developed a bit further. You know, what he's saying basically is, I'm scared to death of what's out there. Well, you know, the old saying, there's a little bit of truth in, in, in certain statements. Well, there, there is intelligent life out there, and it's Jehovah God. You see, you know, this speaks of Romans, the first chapter, where even in nature, there's something that tells mankind, devoid of the Spirit of God, that there's something else. You see? But we're fascinated as a culture with what's out there in the universe, are we not? It's probably likely that one day, you know, somebody, some hoax is going to drop out of the sky and show up and say, well, hey, I'm the answer to all your problems. I'm the, I'm, I'm the missing link. I'm the everything. It'd be real easy to deceive people. You know, there's even people today that don't even think there was really ever any, a man landed on the moon. They think it was all a hoax. It wasn't a hoax, but it'd be so easy to deceive the world just by somebody showing up from outer space and saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to provide all the answers you ever need. It's a setup. Let me tell you, the next great event that's going to occur from outer space is the appearance of the man Christ Jesus, the Creator God. So I want you to understand how important it is for you to embrace what this church has founded upon, the three-in-one God. Okay. Now, Daniel, the seventh chapter, is another place where we see the three-in-one God in the Word of God. Look at Daniel, the seventh chapter. And I would like to just read this whole thing, but we don't really have time. But I encourage you, and it's very interesting to read because what you've got here in Daniel, the seventh chapter, is almost identical to some of the things that John the Apostle is seeing in the book of Revelation. Almost identical. And it makes me think, you know, Revelation is like a pageant that God is putting. It's, it's the... The way I describe it is, it's the best way for a mortal man like John to understand eternal and heavenly things. It's like God has put on a pageant for John in the book of Revelation when he carries him up into the heavens. And here Daniel is seeing in the Old Testament something that's very similar to what John saw. So let's read in Daniel, the seventh chapter. We want to begin reading. In, let's begin reading verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, now this is what Daniel saw in his vision from God. I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. The great sea is always representative in the word of God of the political turmoil in the world, governmental turmoil. Because it's like a sea, it's constantly up and down, it's constantly up and in and out. 
And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Sounds scary. A lion. A lion man. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. Scary old devouring bear. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Another scary image. <laughs> right out of politics. Right out of the book of fearful and scary governmental politics. After this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard. Leopard runs really fast, doesn't he? Which had upon the back of it four wings. The only thing I could think of that would be worse than being chased by a leopard would be a leopard that had wings. <laughs> you know? The beast had also four heads. And not to mention a four-headed leopard. That would be terrifying, you know? <laughs> And dominion was given to it. You see, these are, these are products of the political and governmental upheaval and turmoil of the world throughout the ages. Symbols showing us just how bad things can get on this world. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, as if the first three weren't bad enough, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had a great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residues with the, feet, with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. This thing is terrifying. And I considered the horns and beheld there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouse speaking great things. If you're sitting there going scratching your head, you know, join the club. I don't understand what all this means, but I do understand the symbolism that this world provides nothing but scary things and nothing but trouble and trial and turmoil and upheaval. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. But verse 9, it gets better. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. All of these things that Daniel has seen and he's going, my goodness, this is terrifying. All of a sudden, all of these thrones, the bear, the lion, the leopard, and this diverse one, which I think was probably something like a dragon, it's cast down before something. Look at verse 9. I beheld that the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. You want to know more about this? Read Revelation 13. Read Revelation 20. It's the same scene that's going on here. So Daniel's all worked up and upset about what he sees in the world and what's coming from the world, and yet then he sees the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is the sovereign God. Watch, hap watch what happens. Let's look at verse 13. We'll skip on down. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. <laughs> You've at least got the Son of God appearing before the Father. Do you see that? The Ancient of Days. This is the same depiction that's given in Revelation the fifth chapter where it says He sat upon the throne and the Lamb of God appeared before Him and took the book of history and was able to open that book and tell what it means. I can't open this book in terms of telling you, well, this, 
this particular kingdom was the leopard and this kingdom was the bear. You know, there's some conjecture and stuff about that, but you understand the Lord's got all that within His hands and all of those kingdoms are going to fall before Him one day. The Ancient of Days. Now, I think it's easy to see that this is at least one of two things going on here. I believe that this is a picture of Christ ascending after His resurrection coming back into the throne room. See, Christ took the throne when He was resurrected. There's no devil, there's no enemy that was any worse than death. And Christ defeated death and He goes back into heaven after He ascended in the clouds. you remember? It talks about the clouds and so forth. It also, I believe, is a reference to when He comes the second time. When He comes and calls all of His people home. And all dominion will be His, you see? This is the three-in-one God. Do you believe this, church? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is the three-in-one God. At least one of you believes it. <laughs> this is the three-in-one God that that's, has full dominion right now. Who's going to be the next president? Who's going to be the next composition of the Senate? Who's going to be the next composition of the Congress in 10 years, 8 years, 50 years? Listen, vote and vote for godly people if there are any left. Vote along the issues of what the Word of God teaches that's right and what's wrong. But listen, regardless of whether there's an America, regardless of whether there's a Russia, a China, whatever the great powers of the world are, all dominions will fall down before Him. And right now, as I speak to you, you are a citizen of a kingdom of the three-in-one God who has gone back into heaven and He has taken the throne. He's on the throne now. He said, Brother Tim, it doesn't look like He's on the throne. Well, regardless of what it looks like, that's where your faith comes in. You see, I'm telling you, when, whenever he resurrected from the grave, he took the throne in heaven. And what you have right here is a picture of what in legal terms or in political terms call, is called an investiture. You know, Christ is being invested with the, the throne. You see, he's going back into heaven and he's saying, I'm here. I accomplished what my father set me out to do, what the ancient of days uh, sent me to do. And I take the throne now. And right now, child of God, doesn't matter how what the sea of political turmoil throws up or throws out, no matter what the future holds, no matter how hard times become or how good times become, no matter if they say utopia is here and everybody you know, has everything they need and it's just as good as it can get, I'm telling you, when you breathe your last, you're going into a different kingdom. You're going into the ethereal realm. You're going into the realm of heaven. And that's where the reality is. And that's how we understand science. And that's how we understand politics. And I hope that's how you understand your family and your life, and your presence in this church. This church was founded on a belief in the three in one God. Notice that Jesus is referred to there in Daniel 7 as the Son of Man. That's a term you'll find in the book of Ezekiel. It's a term that you'll find in the Gospels. He is the Son of Man because He took on flesh. You understand that? God left the throne, became, came in, the, in the, the line of Abraham, the line of David, and he took on flesh. So he is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. A great mystery. The three in one God. One of the commentators said this. He's not merely the son of David and the king of Israel. He's the head of restored humanity. <laughs> he is the seed of the woman crushing the Antichrist, the seed of the serpent. The representative man shall then be recognized in the original destiny of man as the head of creation and as the centerpiece of the unity of all of his children. You see, there won't be different governments in heaven. There won't be different administrations. There's one government and Christ is the king and he controls all and he rules over all. 
He's, God the Father is referred to there as the Ancient of Days. You know, I like antiques. Brother Marlin and I were talking last week. He was telling me about how, you know, I don't go antique shopping, but he was telling me about how, you know, antiques are not worth anything this day and time. You know, you, if you want to start an antique collection, now's the time to do it, right? <laughs> because there, there's just hardly any money being paid for antiques. Well, I'm telling you, you serve a God who is an antique. And I don't mean he's an old fossil. I don't mean that. I mean that he is ancient. That's what the word ancient means. It it's the word, comes from the word antique. It also means to be removed. He is removed from this world. You see, he is apart and separate from this world. And yet he took on flesh as the son of God so that he could identify with everything that you need him to identify with. There's nothing that he can't identify with that you're dealing with. One last place we want to look at on the three in one God. Now, some of you may say, well, we didn't see the third one there, Brother Tim. We got the Ancient of Days and we got the Son of Man. Well, who was inspiring Daniel to see these things? It's the Spirit of God. See, you got the Spirit, you got the Ancient of Days, and you've got the Son of Man, the Son of God. Look with me to 1 John 5 and 7. And if you ever needed a reason to stick with the old tried and true King James translation of the Bible, if you just needed one reason, 1 John 5 and 7 is that reason. Because in most, practically all of your modern translations, this verse is left out. That ought to raise your suspicion right there just a little bit, right? <laughs> if somebody's leaving verses out where in years past they've left them in, that ought to raise your suspicion. First John 5 and 7 this, the, that relates to the three-in-one God is not in most of your modern or practically all of your modern translations. So let's read 1 John 5. Let's begin reading in verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? That's talking about you, child of God, overcoming the world through the Lord's overcoming the world. But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. What are we talking about here today? Do you believe in the three-in-one God? That's, that's the whole message. This church was founded on a belief in the three-in-one God. Do you believe in the three-in-one God? He says, if you believe in the three-in-one God, then you are overcoming the world. This is he that came by water and blood. Jesus manifested himself by water baptism as he manifested himself as the Son of God. He didn't become the Son of God in water baptism, but manifested himself. And child of grace, when you're baptized into the church, you don't become a child of God. You're manifesting that you are a child of God. You see? Jesus didn't have to be baptized to become the Son of God. He was baptized to demonstrate that he was the Son of God. And nobody that was baptized ever had happened to them what, Jesus, what happened to Jesus when he was baptized. That's how he was identified. You get that? I've said that before, but I want to make sure you get that because that's what this church believes, that you identify yourself as a child of God by water baptism, immersion under the water. And the, and the significance of that is that Jesus, he was on the cross and he died and he was buried under the ground and he was raised again. You know, there are those out in the religious world that say, well, you know, you just sprinkle a little water on somebody. You ever been to a, a funeral and you went out there and they put the body in the coffin out there and they sprinkled a little dirt on the coffin. That doesn't work that way, does it? It's not a sprinkling. It's a burial, you see? And furthermore, you've never seen anybody with their hands sticking up out of the grave. If you did, that'd be really weird. 
You know, they're buried under the ground. Christ was buried under the ground in the cave and the stone was over it. And then whenever he comes out, he's resurrected. You see, the baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he came and was manifest by water. See, water baptism. He was also manifest by blood. This is He that came by water and blood. His blood was shed on the cross and He died for our sins, you see. Even Christ Jesus, not by water only, John says, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven. You want to know about the harmony that's going on in heaven? Well, here it is. Three bear record in heaven of the truth of Christ being the Son of God. And if you believe that, then you are overcoming the world, you see. Because Because the world doesn't believe that. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, that's Jesus, capital W. He is the living Word, the spoken Word of creation that created in those days when the world was created. And the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. If you will let me put it this way, there is a constant flow, a constant pulsing in heaven that never lets up the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And they are united. This is my Son. This is my Son's work. He has finished it. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That pulse never ends in heaven. There's no moment where God goes, well, let me think, is this correct? No, it's a constant pulse of the Ancient of Days with the Son of Man, with the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, that says this is true, this is right. And it's in a reality that is beyond this world. You see, it's in the true reality. You think, well, this reality is all we have. Some people think that. That, you know, once you're dead, it's all over. Just like the old dog Rover. You're gone, you know? You understand, this is a temporary reality that God made and brought out of nothing. He created time out of nothing. He created this world out of nothing and the universe is out of nothing. And one day, under His authority and jurisdiction, He will wind all of that up, you see? And we'll join the pulse where there is no dissension. The pulse of God's grace and mercy and Spirit and the Father and the Son that says, this is my Son. He's the King. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Stephen Hawking's knee shall bow. Carl Sagan's knee shall bow. Charles Darwin's knee shall bow. Every atheist that's ever existed, their knee shall bow. And they will be made to confess that the Lord is the King of kings. And if you think you're going to be sitting there like I used to think in high school, you know, ha ha, I told you so. You're not going to be doing that. You're going to be so overwhelmed and awed by the presence of the Son of God and the face of the Son of God and the glory of the Son of God that you, of your own voluntary action at that point, because you're perfect, because of the Spirit of God, you'll confess that He's King of kings also. Won't that be beautiful? There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. Did you notice? I just noticed this. I'll throw this in there for free. He says there's three that bear record in heaven. You know, a record is something that's already been done. You get that? Whenever we have a trial and the record is transcribed, you can't go back and monkey with it. You can't go back and falsify. I mean, you could, but it'd be illegal. There's a record in heaven because it's already been done. You see that? And here on this earth, we have a witness of these things. You see? A witness of the record in heaven. So I'm here today to tell you that there are three that bear record, a a satisfied, completed record of your salvation and of God's omnipotence and sovereignty in heaven, and yet there's still a record here on earth. And here it is. It says there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, 
The Holy Ghost bears witness to you on earth. You see? The Spirit is the testimony of Jesus' Sonship and Messiahship. It manifests to you that He is the Son of God. You see? The Lord said, when I go back to heaven, I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit here that will teach you and instruct you. And it will guide you to what? To the record in heaven. You see? This is why we must believe in the three-in-one God. You've got the Spirit of God now to testify to you that what I'm preaching to you is true. You see? And not only that, but we also have the water. That's the baptism of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is that little fourth occurrence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the three-in-one that I was going to mention. And we won't belabor it, but you know the three-in-one appeared when He was baptized. It says that whenever He went down into the water and came up out of the water, a voice, the Father, spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And they saw, the thousands that were there, saw the Spirit of God descend, not like a screech owl, and not like a buzzard that devours flesh, but like a sweet little dove. Sister Tracy can't stand it when I go out dove hunting. <laughs> Boy, Grandmother McCool could sure make them taste good, though, you know? Biscuits and gravy and dove. Oh, my goodness. Some of you finicky eaters will never enjoy that pleasure. But it was a sweet little dove. You got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See? See, there's those out there that say, well, they never appear together at the same time. I've given you four instances in the Word of God. If you'll take this as the record, if you'll take this for truth, there's, four, it, there's, there's more. But there's at least four that we've looked at where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit come together. And these three are one. You see, when Jesus was baptized, the three were there. And let me tell you, the blood of Christ is your witness today. You've got the Spirit as your witness. You've got the baptism of Christ as your witness. You've got your own baptism, I hope, as your witness. If you haven't, you need to make that real. You can do it today. You've got the Spirit, you've got the baptism, and you've got the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When He was on the cross, I've heard some preachers say that, that He drained every drop of blood from His body. I don't know if that's accurate or correct or not, but I know He bled on the cross. He never bled before, and a bone of Him was not broken. The Lord said, they will not break a bone of My Son. Because it wasn't about the bones of Jesus, it was about the blood of Jesus. And the witness that you have to believe in the three-in-one God is the fact that there, the blood of Jesus was shed, that He went into the grave, and He came out, and He's not there. You see? When I stand and I preach at funerals, I've preached at many funerals through the years. I've preached at little children's funerals. I've preached at older people's funerals. I remember one specific time whenever I was preaching out on the hills up north of Zion, and this old brother had died, and they'd asked me to come and speak, and there was all kinds of people gathered there, and the wind was blowing really hard. It was, it was, I was wondering, how am I going to keep my pages in check here, you know? <laughs> I'm standing out by the graveside. It was a graveside funeral. And so we're standing out there, and all these people are here, and I'm a little nervous. I'm thinking some of these people have probably never heard what this old brother believed. And I'm thinking, to tell them about the electing power of the Father. I'm going to tell them about the efficacious blood of the Son that paid for their sins. I'm going to tell them about the Spirit that testifies to that. And I tell you, with God as my witness, as we were sitting there and I just opened my, began to take a breath and open my mouth, the wind just died down. There was no wind for the next 15 minutes as we talked about the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. And I, I noticed it. I was like, my goodness. And I just plowed ahead. And I wish I could tell you that it, many of those people that maybe had seeds on there that day, I know there were some that were like, hmm, back there shaking their head, I don't know about that. And then there were others that probably didn't even go to church and never even heard of it. I don't know what kind of seed was sown there that day, but I believe the Lord shut the wind down just so everybody could hear about what I'm talking to you about today. 
And if this life is all that we have, then why not just go ahead and get it over with? You know, I mean, if this is all we've got to look forward to, I tell you, I'm wrapping up in blankets at, at, at church meetings now, you know. <laughs> My blood's running thinner. I'm getting older. I don't feel like I used to feel. I don't feel as good. I, don't, I know I don't look as good as I used to, and I probably never did look good. You understand? I'm getting older, and I'm feeling it. <laughs> Until I turned 40, you know, every little thing that happened to me, I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, just brush it off. You know, go run it off. Sometimes I think that way. I'll just go and exercise this away, <laughs> this pain, this problem. After I turned 40, I started feeling a pain, and I was like, Lord, is this it? <laughs> Is this it? This is a weird pain I'm having right here. I see Brother Joey back there laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, is this it? Is, my, is this the big one? Am I fixing to go see the Lord? Oh, Lord, I want to see my kids again. If this is life is all that we had, I can remember when I was a child and looking forward to turning 29 in the year 2000. And I can remember in the year 2000 wondering what was going to happen with Y2K and looking ahead, what's going to happen in this next century? You know, I'm a part of this next century that's coming up. And now here we are in 2022. You know, I'm over 50 years old. I think, where did it go? Where did it go? I want you to know where it's going. It's going to the three-in-one God. And if that doesn't affect you, if your belief in the first article of faith of this church, of what it was founded, doesn't impact your life, then maybe you're not listening good enough or maybe I'm just not preaching it good enough. That's highly possible that it could be that way. But I tell you, the three-in-one God impacts me from creation, from my belief in science, from my belief in what Christ did on the cross, and from my belief in where I'm going one day to be in that great scene in heaven where the pulse, where the heartbeat of God is King of kings and Lord of lords. And child of God, we're just not going to see the full impact of that. We will never see the full impact of that here on this earth. But you can try to see it. And the best place to see it is through the church of God. The blood is the testimony of Jesus' sacrifice, His crucifixion. I believe this, as Paul said, therefore I speak. I believe this and I'll speak it until I no longer have breath in me. I believe in the ancient of days and I will speak it until there's no longer breath in me. I believe in the Son of God who was invested as the King of kings and Lord of lords in that great resurrection when He went back to heaven. And I believe in the Spirit of God because it enlivens me now. It, it helps me to understand and, and interpret things now. So... As we close our thoughts here today, a little unconventional, but I want to ask you, church, do you believe what this says? We believe in one living and true God and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Thank you. If you do believe that, then you are walking in the old paths. You're walking in the truths of God that have been handed down to you from the last hundred plus years that were handed down from 2,000 years ago with a fellow named John the Baptist came preaching and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. If you believe that, church, which I believe you do, you're beholding the Lamb of God today. That's Article 1. I don't know that I'm going to come back to Article 2 next week or the week after or whatever, but I've had it on my mind to begin to put these articles of faith of the church before you and show you the scriptural references for that and hopefully see the impact of that in your life. If you're in college and dealing with a professor that teaches that there is no God like Stephen Hawking taught and that the creation, that, that's nothing to that, it's just a fable, 
That's, a, that's something that can help you. True science tells you there is a creator. If you're struggling with your salvation or you're struggling how you're interacting with people, if you know that the King of kings and Lord of lords is overlooking you, I think it makes a difference on how you act. It should. If it doesn't, then shame on you or shame on me for not responding. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized to demonstrate that you are a child of God, then we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.